You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. God has graciously revealed himself to mankind through his creation and, and his word. Uh, the reality of this is that the fact that we even get to speak about God is a good sign that God wants to be known by us, that he's communicating to us. And natural revelation is God's attempt, and I'll follow this for a second, we'll unpack it in just a minute. It's God's attempt outside of scripture to awaken our need for him. So next week we're going to be talking about how scripture speaks to us, but before we even get to there, there is an aspect of what natural revelation does for us that says before you ever crack open a Bible, there are signposts along the way in this world that's calling out for our attention for him, right? Uh, and, and so and a lot of that comes through nature itself, and we'll walk through it. Before we un- unpack that all, all the way, uh, I do want us to think through the task of theology. If you look at that first word there, if we think of theology, uh, theos is the Greek word for what? God, okay? So theology, uh, obviously, we start off there with theos is the, the Greek word for God. And so when we see that, that's giving us a, a, a hint of what we're talking about uh, and when we talk about theology. Because we get to this ology part, and it comes from a Greek word called logos, which is a Greek word for three things. It can be either way, word, idea, or logic. Make sense? So uh, the ology part is talking about the word, the idea, or logic of who? Of God. So theology then helps us to give a word about God, the idea of God, the logic of God, or in a simpler way to say it, theology is the study of God, okay? To make sure that we know who God is and what God is about, allowing us to it. So now, um, in reality, because we live in the, the times that we do, theology, okay, that sounds a little academic, a little heady, okay, maybe I can deal with that, but then the word systematic scares some of you, right? Some of you are like, I don't trust the institution. I don't trust it. Like, why has it got to be systematic? What is that about? Let me explain what that means. Systematic theology seeks to take themes scattered throughout the Bible and compile them together into orderly explanations of essential doctrines. Okay? So systematic theology is creating systems within our theology, not in the sense to hinder or to put into a, a, a prison in any type of way, But it is to take these different ideas that are scattered throughout the pages of Scripture to put them into a systematic approach. Give you an example. If I were to ask you, what does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit and where would you go to find it? You might go, uh, right? Now let me ask you a question. Is the Holy Spirit in the Bible? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Uh, When do you typically, do we think the Holy Spirit is more present, at least on the pages of Scripture, in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Which one? New Testament. How early do you think the Holy Spirit shows up in the Bible? Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. 2. He's, he, they, it says the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Uh, David commits a sin with Bathsheba in Psalm chapter 51. He says, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, right? And then Acts chapter 2, Pentecost comes down and things get crazy, right? And then he is sprinkled, and I really mean this, he's sprinkled on the pages of some of Paul's letters, but there's not a book in the Bible that it says, the Reader's Digest, here's 10 things you need to know about the Holy Spirit, right? That's not in there. The Bible's not written like that. It's not written that way about Christ, not about the Holy Spirit, not about salvation itself. So what do you have to do? You take verses and, and passages and thoughts, and we bring them together to give a coherent view to understand because 
What happens is, if we only study isolated passages, we miss the complete picture of what God is communicating. Make sense? Okay. So, <clears throat> give me an example. Um, there is a book uh, in the Bible called Ephesians, right? Mm-hmm. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of what? Works, Works so that no one may boast, right? So, Salvation is all a gift from God. We all agree with that? Mm-hmm. Can't earn it. It's a gift. Okay, we're all, all good there. But then there's this other book. There's a few books down in the New Testament called James. Right? It says faith without works, works is the problem. Right? Now, now some of you are like, y'all are so, y'all are so church. You're like, oh, I know the answer, Pastor. Okay, great. If you do. But if you take Ephesians chapter 2, it almost sounds like you don't need works at all. But then you go to James chapter 2 and say, you better have works or else. And you go, which one is it? Well, you, we put all of these ideas together to a systematic approach and allows us to understand the truth of God's word in a unique, unique way. So as, as you look here at that, that next outline, or the next line, it says the major categories of theology. I'm going to give you nine here and kind of tell you how we're going to break these down. So um, for this, what's called the, the spring semester, which is going to be like January through April, we're going to be looking at these first here on this page. Bibliology is the study of the what? Scriptures, right? Study the Bible allows us to understand what God's Word is, what God's Word isn't, help us to really unpack what that is. Theology is, well, you're like, I thought that's the whole thing. This is what's called theology proper or the study of God. Who is God the Father? Uh, what is He like? Uh, what does He do? That helps us understand that. Anthropology is the study of who? Study of man, right? And you go, that, that sounds like a really um, depressing topic. It is. And we're going to dive into it. Okay, like, who are we? Yes, we are made gloriously in the image of God, and we distort it like crazy. And so, But we need to really talk about the complexity of that, because also, when the image of God is stamped upon you, where, when is it stamped upon you, and what does that mean, right? Um, then there's this harmatology, uh, which is the study of? Sin. sin, that sounds depressing, it is, but we're going to talk about what does sin do to us and, and how, how do we relate with it, and then Christology is obviously what? Study, Study of Christ. Christ. So these are kind of the big buckets that we're going to walk through here over the next few months. Um, we're going to uh, take, do another class in the summer, but then we come back in the fall, uh, we're going to be Systematic Theology 2, which will bring us to these last few topics, which is really fun. I want you all to repeat this next one after me. Say pneumatology. You guys are so smart. That's the doctrine, the study of the Holy Spirit, right? The pneuma, the spirit that comes in and, and the Holy Spirit that comes in and guides us and, and uh, seals us. Um, I'll just say this. As a Baptist church, I, I love there was a book title one time by a guy by the name of Francis Chan that said the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God. In reality, the forgotten person of the Trinity is very, very obvious. And some of you grew up in a church where the Holy Spirit was the part, the, the, the member of the Trinity that was spoken about the most, right? And then sometimes, let's be honest, some of y'all have been in services before where the Holy Spirit was responsible for certain things. You're like, I don't know if that's of God or not, right? Okay, but the Holy Spirit was getting credit for it in the moment, which has caused some people to walk away completely from the study of the Holy Spirit altogether, to our disadvantage, by the way. So we're going to say, what does Scripture tell us about the Holy Spirit? It goes down from there to soteriology. Y'all said that after me. Soteriology. soteriology. Awesome. That's the study of salvation and how that works together. And you go, oh, we get saved. There's a lot of things in Scripture that we've got to unpack and wrestle with together. Then there's another one I want you to repeat after me called ecclesiology. ecclesiology. 
That's the study of the church. And you go, is it a building? No. There's so much more complexity about who the church is that we're going to um, unpack. And then finally, one more, say eschatology. eschatology. This is what y'all going to be excited about, study of the end times, right? Okay, we're going to figure it out. We're going to put it on the calendar. No, you don't. Okay, anyway, but we're going to study what does Scripture teach us about the end times. Now, you got to understand this. When we think about it, religion is our attempt to relate to God, right? That's what religion does. But theology is the study of how God has related to us. Religion is oftentimes how man kind of puts things together, sometimes right, sometimes wrong, how we're trying to relate to God. Theology is not about how we relate to God. It is the study of how God is already related to us, is relating to us, and there is no better topic for us to study other than God himself. Amen? Nothing better in the world to study. And so this is the process. We want to know God because the more that we know God, the more that we love God. And this is what we're after at the whole heart of it, right? Now, here's the problem with theology because things come in and kind of get a little wonky as you go if you're not aware of it. First off, reason there's a problem is what I call identity, okay? Um, <clears throat> who are we as the people of God? Who are we as image bearers of God? Uh, Voltaire said it this way. That God created man in his own image, and ever since then, man has been trying to repay the favor. That, 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 that's deep. For some of you, are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. That God creates man in his image, but ever since then, we've been trying to repay the favor and make God in whose image? Ours. You wonder why sometimes in your mind you pray to a God that's so fickle? It's because you're fickle, not him. We impose who we are on him and assume he's like us. That's not how this works. We are to be like him. He's not to be like us. And so we're, the, well, the problem with the theology is a lot of times we have misconceptions of who God is because we think he's like us. He's not like us. Praise God. Right, okay? Thank God he's not like us. Another issue we can have is the authority issue, right? Um, no, this is not just for your kids. This is for every single one of us kids, right? The authority issue. Um, just so you know this, from the Garden of Eden, mankind has been bent and determined to redefine what is classified as good and evil, right? A lot of us grew up thinking that Adam and Eve's sin was that they ate fruit. No. Adam and Eve's sin was this. They took from a tree that was reserved for God himself because it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you took your hand out and took that fruit off, you were claiming you had the right to determine what is good and what is evil. My friends, in 2022, we live in a culture right now that calls good evil and calls evil good, right? We are taking from the tree of which we do not have the right to extend our hands and get. And so there's this authority issue. Who's in charge? Who has the right to say what? The problem with theology is you start opening up this Bible and God's going to start telling you what you need to do. And we don't like that. We want to say what is right, what is wrong. Another issue that we have with theology is something called clarity. Okay? Um, so we live in what, what some people at least refer to as postmodern times. It'll probably change into something. It's moving, always moving. But um, postmodern thinking espouses this one central truth. Y'all ready for this truth that we live in today? There is no absolute truth. Question. What is the problem with that statement? That's an absolute that is an absolute truth, right? <laughs> to say there, isn't, there is no absolute truth, you are saying that is the absolute truth by which there can be no other absolute truths. Follow me? There is no absolute truth other than one that I just said. Oh, well, that's, that's cute, right? Okay. And so, so we live in all truth is relative except for this one, right? 
And, and so, so here's the issue. We are struggling in our time of clarity and postmodern thinking. We don't believe there is an absolute truth. So if we don't want to believe there's an absolute truth, we don't want to submit to a Bible that's, that is supposedly written by God to tell us what that truth is. We want to come up with it on our own, right? In that, if you have a Bible, if you're going to crack it open, another problem with theology is what I call illiteracy. Not the fact that you can't read. It's the fact that you don't read the what? The Bible. Our culture is increasingly becoming more biblically illiterate. Would you agree with this? Yes. Um, it's, it's not just like, well, you know, people just don't crack their Bible. They just don't know the simple truths of God's word. Some of you grew up in this country where at least everybody at least had some type of exposure to the big picture of the story of the Bible. That's not true anymore. It's not true. Uh, I was on a mission trip years ago to <clears throat> Guatemala where they, um, we were in a, a village that was a very syncretistic um, village they had a version of christianity catholic christianity also um, with animism which is kind of worship of spirits believing that god's in the trees kind of stuff and they combined it to this kind of weird thing they didn't have a scripture so it's all what they had learned and they just kind of combined it to one place i was teaching a group of kids one day and i was teaching them this bible story we, we did a, a whole, whole thing presenting about what jesus walked on the water and calmed the waves and all this kind of stuff and we get down, and, and uh, one of the guys I was discipling, he was going through the kids. Okay, you just saw us do this little play here, and let me ask you a question. You know, what did you see there? That the, the waters, you know, was this, and the storm was happening. And he said, and who calmed the waters? And the kids went, Maria! <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. Maria went in the boat. <laughs> who calmed the waters? Maria! Who told the waters to be still? Maria! And then he just went one further. He says, who is the way to heaven? Guess what they said? Maria! <laughs> Mother Mary. This was their idea and this, this view, right? Now, why, 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 why do I say that to you? Because you go, that's horrible that those poor kids didn't know God's word enough to know the way to heaven. Folks, that's what we're living in right now. That's where we are. They may not say it as, as, as blatant as that, but folks, it's out there. People don't know God's word. The other, the other issue, and this one may sound a little weird to you, okay? Um, we're talking about systematic theology, okay? If you haven't dealt, this is a big book. You don't know that? Uh, 1,189 chapters or something. There's 66 different books combined in this book. There's a lot of stuff in here, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of pages in here. And what type of information do people like to read today? Short, pithy tweets, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, we, don't, we don't really want to have to... Uh, all right, I, I was trying to explain to my kids this the other day. I said, when Dad was your age, I'd come home and I'd have to wait till TGIF came on on Friday night, okay? Y'all remember Family Matters and all that kind of stuff? Like, it was at 8 o'clock and 8.30 and 9 and 9.30, and they said, well, what happened if you missed it? You missed it? They're like, you couldn't watch it later? I'm like, no. Like, this, this, is, the, this is the purgatory that I lived in when I was a kid. Like, this, is, this is bad. Like, we had to wait on stuff. Do we have to wait on anything now? No. You see it when you want to see it. Right, And we read in small bite-sized things. As, as we're watching the news, there's other little bite-sized things coming on. And this is the problem of theology right now. It's a problem of brevity. Our short attention spans and bite-sized appetites for study create an unwillingness to develop a biblical theology. We just don't want to work at it. 
How many people today go, I can't understand that book. And I go, if you want it bad enough, you would. Right? But we have this short attention span. We, we can't stay focused anymore because we're always focused on a device. We have bite-sized appetites. Nobody can even read a book anymore. You'll see it around like, that's really big. So, and then you open up this book and you go, it's way too big for me to read, for me to understand. And so it's, just, it's allowing this brevity in our own life. And then there's one more problem of theology I would just highlight, and that's what I call immutability, okay? Now, immutability, when I was uh, just starting seminary, someone said, you know that God is immutable. you know what that means? And I just, I saw mute, and I thought, you can't get them quiet? Like, what do you mean? Okay, like you, and then, no, um, if you think about something that mutates, it changes, right? So God is immutable. He does not change. If God does not change, guess what also would not change? The study of who God is. You know why? Here's the deal. If our theology is biblical, that means it needs no what? No improvement. But our insatiable desire to discover something new entices us to create something heretical. What takes place, honestly, okay, is that... Um, if truth, if there is absolute truth, if it's contained in the scripture, it doesn't need a revised version. It doesn't need an updated version. Scripture is scripture, it's truth, and just because we've arrived at 2022 doesn't mean that, go, oh, well, now we need to change it now because we're, we're here, right? And God needs to adapt to us. Truth is truth, and it will endure to the end of time. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, right? It's not going anywhere, right? So with this, if theology is biblical, it doesn't need improvement. We're not going to come along and, and somehow make it better, but we have this insatiable desire to discover something new entices us to create something heretical. This is the scariest thing that you ever hear in church. You ready for it? Now, I saw something in the Bible that nobody's ever seen before. I feel my chest like literally about to cave in on me because I'm thinking, you mean to tell me that people have been studying the Bible for 2,000 years and no one has seen it to this moment? There's probably a reason why no one's seen it because it ain't there. Okay, right? Like it's truth. It doesn't need a, oh, I figured this out. And if you take out every vowel and you add this and you only take the, every third word, then it says heresy is what it says okay right like the bible is the bible just open it up and read what god's word is saying to you and allows you to understand who it is now with all that here's the problem of theology i want to talk about the revelation of god because when we think of revelation typically we think of end times right but at the very heart revelation is how god reveals himself right that's what it's about and the only way we could know anything about god is if he chooses to reveal it to us right make sense uh, if he's in heaven, we're on earth, we don't get information unless he comes speaking in some type of way. Speaking to our heart, speaking through a book, there's no way we, we've got to hear from him in some type of way. He's got to initiate that conversation. There's two ways that he does that, okay? First is special revelation, which we're going to talk about next week. We'll make sure you understand this. Special revelation is God's precise information about himself that he reveals to us through what? through scripture it's precise it's specific it's exact you open up the special revelation and you know who god is okay so special revelation is god's precise information about himself he reveals to us through scripture but then there's a second part and that is natural revelation which is what i would call god's preliminary information about himself that he reveals to us through what creation now, when I say preliminary, 
That means it starts us out, it cannot complete it though. Okay? So let me ask you a question. Natural revelation, what do you see in the word natural? What do you see? Nature, nature right? Does nature teach us something about God? Yes. yes. Does it teach us everything about God? No. no. We need to rely on, at that point, special revelation. So, um, nature's going to get us far, but not all the way, right? So, give you an example. Uh, have you ever been to a place in your life, first time I think this ever happened to me, I was standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon as a high school student uh, with a bunch of friends. And we look out at this thing that's just unbelievable, that just, you know, the river's going through it, it keeps going down, and it... it you see it in pictures, it just doesn't do it justice. You're standing on the edge of it, and you think you're looking at a painting. You're like, this cannot be real. And you know it. Every person in all the place around the Grand Canyon, somebody's going to be looking at it, and then they're going to say it. Y'all know what they're going to say, right? How can anybody look at this and not believe there is a, a river? No, yeah, a God, right? Okay. <laughs> you look at it, and you go, how can there not be a God, right? You ever see one of these star-lit skies, you know, and you just look at it and go, huh? How in the world can you look at this and not think there's a God? That's what nature does. Nature starts you. Can't finish it, right? But it does start you. So let me, let me uh, look for a second. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn here to Psalm 19 for a second. <coughs> Psalm 19 is going to help us understand and unpack this in a, in a really, really special way. Um, because um, in Psalm 19 is this picture that God says, here is natural revelation as well as special revelation okay um and there's so much to un unpack in here but let me at least give you a, a little bit from it when you look at psalm uh 19 if you probably look at you're going to notice that there's most likely in your uh translation verses one through six kind of looks like a paragraph is there a separation between six and seven a little bit so um imagine if you will Psalms was originally a worship book for the people, right? So verses 1 through 6 is the first verse, right? 7 through, uh, I think about 10 or 11 is the second stanza, right? And, and then the, the last little bit is the refrain. You keep coming, it's the chorus, okay, if you, if you will. So the first verse says one aspect of who God is. The second uh, says something else about God that is very important. So I, I want you to, to notice something as you look. It says, the heavens declare the glory of who? God. Okay, now what declares the glory of God again? Heavens. heavens do. And then the what? The sky above proclaims his what? Handiwork. Handiwork. Okay, so the heavens declare the glory of God. So it's speaking about at that point, not special revelation, but what? Natural revelation. You go up, you look at the sky, you look at the sun, you look at the stars, and it proclaims to you. His handiwork. That stuff could not have come by accident, right? It's, it's too big. It's too massive. How is it not falling on us? How is it not burning us up? There's got to be somebody in charge of this. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's why people look at it and go, how can anybody believe there's not a God? I don't know who he is. I don't know what he's like, but look at that sky. He's got to be real, right? That's all I know about him. That's why people on the other side of the world who've never even opened up a Bible, they at least say, there's got to be a God up there, right? There has to be. Look at this. There's, there's no way this happened by accident. So the heavens declare the glory of God. Then you go down to second stanza of this song, and you see the law of the what? Lord is perfect. So now we're not talking about the heavens, we're talking about the what? The law. And this is not 
Uh, if you think about proclaiming his handiwork here, this is really speaking about the eyes, right? This first stanza. But this second stanza is talking about the what? The soul. Now, notice something. God is mentioned in both of these verses, but is it the same name? No. It's not the same name. So follow me here for a second. All right? The heavens declare the glory of God in Hebrew. That name is something called Elo... Elohim. Elohim. It's the generic name of God. It is the name that someone standing at the Grand Canyon looking up at the scar, stars, uh, stars in the sky says, how can anybody believe there's not a Elohim? There's a God up there. I don't know him. I don't know what he's like, but he's got to be out there. There's no way this can happen. But then, folks, don't miss this. You get to the law. You get to his word. You get to the scripture and another name is used. Now, in your translation, it says the Lord, uh, but it's all capital letters, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in the Bible, that is a special word, Yahweh. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is walking through the wilderness and all of a sudden a bush is on fire, but it is not consumed, and this bush says, Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I am your God. He goes, Moses has tons of gods. What is your name? He says, I am who I am. You go tell him I am has sent him to you. That name is the name Yahweh. If we were to translate this, he says, you go tell him he worships the sun god and the river god and the moon god and the, the cattle god and all this kind of stuff. I am who I am. I define myself. I don't even need a piece of creation to identify myself because I'm identified with it all. I am who I am. You got to tell him I am the self-existent one just sent me to you. And, and here's the deal. Now, miss, don't miss this. So the heavens tell us what? There is a God. The scriptures tell us his name. See the difference? Within this worship song, says natural revelation it'll get you far right it will get you far but only so far it'll get you to say look at this guy there's got to be a god but then you've got to open up the word to know who this god is like what is his name to be able to truly identify who he is natural revelation tells us about god's reality a special revelation tells us about his identity so god uses i would say a one-two punch here that even in places where Scripture has not yet reached, creation is screaming a message. Look up. You are not an accident. You are not forgotten about. You were created by someone who loves you. Before Scripture ever gets there, before a missionary ever gets there, creation is screaming, God exists and God loves you. And yet, natural revelation, it tells us about God's reality, but special revelation, it, it tells us about his identity, tells us who he is. Let's, if you went to the New Testament, you can go here for a second. If you like Matthew chapter 16, where um, this is where natural revelation and special revelation, how it all kinds of comes together. But there are certain things even within our souls we know about God before anyone's ever taught us. So um, Jesus' ministry is booming. More and more people are following him. A lot of stuff is happening. And as often Jesus would do, he gathered his disciples together to have a very important fireside chat, if you will, okay? And in this, what you realize is that he says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? I know people are talking. So who do they say that I am? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, 
from one of the prophets. And then some of y'all know what the next question is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Right? <clears throat> now, let me tell you where I always thought this passage of Scripture was trying to teach us. It doesn't matter what other people are saying about Jesus. It matters what you say about him. Right? Okay, that, that's true. But who do, who do you say that I am? So we all, we're going to, you know, if you, if you know this story, you know this is about one out of two times that Simon Peter ever got it right. Okay, right? So what do you say next? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Okay, awesome. And Simon answered him, Blessed are you, Simon... What is that? Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Okay. Bar uh, means son of. Did you know that? Son of. So he says, blessed are you, uh, Jonah's boy. That's what he's saying. Simon, son of uh, Jonah. So, um, uh, okay, here, here's a good example. You, uh, you remember the guy who was um, who uh, Jesus replaced on the cross? What was his name? Barabbas. You know what bar means, right? Son. Abba means what? Son of the Father gets off the cross, so the actual Son of the Father goes on the cross. Son of the Father is his name, okay? Bar Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Who's this flesh and blood? Jonah. Your daddy didn't teach this about you. Your heavenly one did. Your earthly father didn't teach you this. Your heavenly father did. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. The father revealed this to you. How did he reveal it to him? How did he know? And, and so, so here's the deal, right? A lot of times we praise Peter because, well, Peter had an opinion about Jesus. Let me tell you something about Jesus. If Peter would have responded to, to Jesus this way, I know everybody thinks you're this or that or whatever. I just think you're a really good teacher. You know? I mean, I kind of thought you were the Messiah, but no, I thought the Messiah would look more like this. So I just think you're a really good teacher. You're not the Son of God. But man, I, I like you and I, I'm with you. You know what Jesus would not have said? Well, thank you so much for your opinion there, Peter. You know what? If that's true for you, it's true for you. Don't worry about if it's true for me or not. Way to go on having an opinion and being passionate about it. You know what Jesus would have done? Flipped over those tables and said, you're wrong, Peter. He did it plenty of times. It wasn't the fact that Peter had a personal opinion. It was the fact that Peter was right. Right? Folks, we live in a culture where everybody's going, I think God's like this. Who cares? It does not matter what you or I think about God. It matters what God thinks about God. At the end of the day, you and I can be wrong. Eternally wrong. I think he's like this. And what if we're wrong? How will we be right? If our Father in heaven shows us what he's like. And how does the Father in heaven shows us what he's like? Two means. Natural revelation, special revelation. There are things in nature that he teaches us, things through scripture. Look on here. I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church. Gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. This sounds awesome. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Don't think that's a good move, but I understand what Jesus is after. He's like, what? Should we tell everybody? No, not yet, not yet. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. Is this the message that Peter thought he was signing up for? No. He thought he was following the victor, not the victim. And now, let's see what Peter does with that Messiah. Ready? Peter took him aside and began to <laughs> rebuke the Messiah. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never, what? Happen to you. No, 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 no. I know I just call you Christ, Son of the living God. But let me, let me tell you a couple things, Jesus. This won't happen to you. This is not my version of who God is supposed to be. I don't like the way this is turning out. So no, I want to make you my image. That's what I want. You know, the first person to ever rebel against God, even before Adam and Eve, do you remember his name? Lucifer. Lucifer, an angel who did not like the way things were run and tried to subvert God and was kicked out as a result. And then he influences Adam and Eve to say, hey, he doesn't want you to eat from that tree because as soon as he does, you will be like him. You'll take his place. This has been the, the temptation from ever to define God in your own terms. Satan did it, Adam and Eve did it, and folks, we will too. This is exactly what Peter does. And Jesus is going to say something that hopefully is going to blow your mind when you see how, how packed this is in here. Because he turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Get behind me, Satan? You just gave me a new nickname called Rocky, and I like Rocky better than Satan, right? He says, get behind me, Satan. You were a hindrance to me, for you were not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of... You are making God in your image. Not allowing God to keep you in the image of what he's made too. When theology becomes more like a reflection of us, it's a distorted heresy is what it is. Versus what is God actually saying to us. So truth is not created by us. It is revealed by who? God. By God. It must be. It's not created by us. It's revealed by God. We don't form it. We don't manipulate it. It's something that God in heaven says, here, here's who I am. And he does this through nature, through his word. So with this, the nature of natural revelation <coughs> is such that as we think through, what does God actually do through scripture? So um, I want you to think about something for a second. I mean, uh, this happened a few years ago, but the craziest thing happened to me one morning. Uh, I'd overslept. Got up really quick. I was chaotically running through the house, trying to get my clothes ready, trying to get my bag ready, getting time for work. And I ran by the kitchen table, and I saw the craziest, most peculiar thing that I'd ever seen in my kitchen at this point, which is pretty remarkable because I've seen some pretty crazy stuff. I ran by my kitchen table, and this is what I found. Ready for it? There was a box of alphabets turned over on my table, and it said, Travis, comma, take out the trash. And I just was amazed by it. It was an incredible phenomenon. In fact, I took a picture of it, I put it on social media, and I said, I cannot believe this happened because somehow in my house that night as I was sleeping, the pantry door opened up, the alphabet's box flew 15 feet to the middle of our table, it tipped over, it, the lid popped open, and just a few letters poured out of the box, and it just so happened to spill a message containing my personal name and a seemingly specific message, and then the pantry door had closed again. It was amazing. It was such an incredible coincidence, right? <laughs> I couldn't understand when I tried to explain to my wife how crazy that nature of the coincidence was while she just looked at me like I was a moron. 
Because it was the oddest thing. You know why? Because when you look at that, what do you know? I said this one time to a group of college students. The college students said, that your wife's crazy? <laughs> I was like, no. Um, just for you to know, my, my wife never did this experiment, okay? I, I, I did it and formed this out. But if this did happen, what do you know about what I found on the kitchen table? Someone is trying to send me a what? It's pretty clear, right? Pretty clear. Because we would look at that and go, it's too remarkable that we could just assume that a box would fly 15 feet over and these letters spell out to say this message, and yet that is what the entire culture is saying about the world and the universe in which we live in. It's a lot more complex than this message. Would you not agree? Your body is a lot more complex than that box of alphabets. This universe is a lot more complex than this alphabet. So let me think about this. If you think through that there was a creation years ago that many people in our culture thinks that a whole lot of something came out of a whole lot of nothing, and yet scientists go to the fact that something started something to start everything off, and yet it should have consumed everything, and it's almost like someone put the brakes on it. How could that happen? If you go even further and think about it, that out of billions and stars, the sun sets up shop in one neighborhood of the galaxy in this particular section of the universe, it sure is helpful this star isn't the immense uh, stars that are nearby in another galaxy, like a star called Betelgeuse, because if it was a star just a little bit larger than the one that's in our galaxy, our planets would have been incinerated. Earth sets a few planets down from the line of the sun. If it was one planet closer, it'd be too hot to live. If it was one planet further back, it'd be too cold to live. It's not the biggest planet. It's not the smallest. Yes, it's the only one that's actually livable. Isn't that amazing? Uh Earth contains more than 100 very narrowly defined anthropic constants which are precise and interdependent environmental conditions that support human life on Earth. If that sounds really heady, all it means is this. It's the only place we could live. Only place. Oxygen happens to comprise 21% of the atmosphere on Earth. If it was 25%, fires would erupt spontaneously. If it was 15%, all humans would suffocate. The Earth's atmosphere is just right concerning density and alignment to the sun. If the atmosphere was less transparent, we'd not have enough solar radiation. If it was more transparent, we would be bombarded with too much solar radiation. Everything on the Earth, including the moon-Earth gravitational interaction, carbon dioxide level, and the precise nature of the force of gravity is made to sustain life. Travis, take out the trash. <laughs> and all that we know and see apparently came from an explosion with no purpose, intention, or designer. Then there are all these life forms. They're each so unique, and somehow they're also interdependent upon each other. Symbiotic relationships are seen through every nook, every cranny of the earth. Then there's the issue of human beings. The human mind is able to contain information that could fill some 20 million volumes of encyclopedias. The interaction of the organs is an impressive machine manufactured to sustain life without batteries or without power supply. When it cuts, it heals. When hurt, it cries. When happy, it smiles. And then there are these babies. My goodness, the babies. Where there are many similarities between all humans, about half of them have certain body parts, the other half another set of body parts. And when you put those body parts together, another life form comes from that pleasurable experience. One of those humans is able to carry that child in the womb and throughout the time of pregnancy, delivery and post-delivery, the woman's body changes to sustain life. Have you also heard about the cone head, anybody? Okay, I know you didn't know we were going in there, okay? Let's go here. The baby's skull doesn't develop fully in the womb so it can pass through the mother so the baby and mother can make it through such an unlikely ordeal. But when naturally comes from the mother's body, the first few hours is exactly what the baby needs in those few moments. Then a shift takes place later and it lines up perfectly with what the child needs just by accident. 
As human beings, we have enough food. Temperatures are consistent. Gravity keeps us in place. All these dynamics are so amazing, and just to think it supposedly all happened by itself. Think about it. The most brilliant NASA technicians look at the way the Earth just happens to be so that they can model their spaceships after it in order to sustain human life in the chaotic environment known as space. The most educated doctors look at what nutrients are in a mother's body in order that they can specify what ingredients needs to be in a baby formula. Every invention that we make today is built upon formulas and principles that we discover rather than create. And it all just so happened. You may think that my story of alphabets flying across the kitchen is absurd, and I would agree with you. If you really look at that complex message, you would realize that somebody was specific and intentional that I received a message, and that's exactly the way I think about creation. It is simply too difficult of an intellectual hurdle for me to accept that all of these variables mentioned and countless more all just happened by accident. Nature is screaming. There is an intentional God of order who is sending us a message. I don't I know it doesn't tell us for sure that God exists. It doesn't tell us everything about him. It doesn't tell us the totality of his character, but I believe that the surmounting evidence in the universe at least warrants the respect for people to be able to hold and communicate the belief that such a design calls for a designer. And this is what natural revelation does for us. It tells us these last few things will go from that we learn this above us, that the scope and complexity of the universe screams to the need for an intelligent designer. What some people would call the cosmological law is basically like this. If you look at the creation of how the universe exists, it is saying there's no way this could happen unless somebody was the outside of it. I read one NASA um, scientist who said one time, if you look at the way that the universe is made, it looks like someone has monkeyed with the physics of it all. It just can't happen this way. It sure does look somebody is on the outside making it happen, but surely that couldn't take place. When you look at the stars in the sky above us, it causes us to say there is a God, and he is trying to send us a message. Like is mentioned in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Time out. How can invisible attributes be clearly seen? Because we behold them in creation. You don't know everything about God, but you see the stars in the sky. You see how the planets work together, and you go, there is a God. It clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without what? Creation is enough for us to look towards God, and creation is saying we are without excuse. There is enough evidence around us and above us to say, surely there is a God. Surely there is a God. None of us are without excuse. So what we see above us points to natural revelation. What we see around us points to natural revelation. The manner in which earth can sustain life displays a unique level of intentionality. The teleological law that philosophers use talk about the design element. That's what I was talking about with the atmosphere and the size of the planet, where we are positioned towards the sun. All these different things that earth is uniquely designed to display and sustain life. Acts chapter 14 verse 17 says it this way. Yet he did not leave himself without what? Without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Let me explain something to you. If God doesn't send the rain, we don't eat. If there's not soil in the ground, we don't eat. There is something even about the earth's complexity with how far in advance we are. We still are dependent upon what? Good rains and good fruitful seasons. We're still dependent upon it. So even around us, God is screaming to us through nature. And then about us, 
the sole level at which humans operate, distinguish us from other beings. I know there's plenty of things that talks about with we share with certain species, and I understand all of that. But there is only one creation that gets down to the soul level of right and wrong, the weight of different things, and that is the moral law. The moral law in philosophy says this, you cannot go to any culture in the world, no matter if they have a scripture or not, and find a place where backstabbing is a virtue to uphold. There is something inside every single person that you may convince yourself it's okay to sin, but there is a pull. There's a pull that God has put a compass in every single person's heart. That every single person, no matter where they come from, what happens that they about us, we know certain things to be true. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says it this way. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's what? Yet so, that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has put eternity into our hearts. Only people think about where they will live forever. When my dog goes out at night, and I try, especially in this wintertime, say, will you please go use the bathroom one time? I'm freezing. Hurry up. When he sits down and looks at the sky, he is scratching himself. He is not going, what an impressive God. (laughs) I am asking him, move quickly. I am freezing. There's snow and ice on the ground. And he just plops down in the middle of it and just stares at me. And I go, I want to hurt you, dog, so, so viciously right now. Like, please hurry up and move, right? The dog's not thinking about eternity. The dog's not thinking about if he does this, it affects anybody like that. Only the people of God, only God's, where his image is stamped upon people that we have this. And he's put eternity into our heart so that every person, whether they regard this word or they disregard it, they all know that at some point in their life, they fear what is to come. Death itself, eternity, judgment, facing God. Is there God? It's the only one through it, that even at the soul level, we find ourselves. So through natural revelation in creation, God left traces of who he is to arouse our attention for a more thorough truth contained within Scripture. Creation whets the appetite, folks, and causes us to look up, away from ourselves, and to seek answers that only his truth can give us. Next week, we're going to look at how God has put that word together for our edification to know him better. And so tonight, Father, we thank you that as we go out tonight and feel that cool burst of air, and we look up at the sky, and we look at how the way the world is made, and we think about how our bodies are put together, and the way that our minds and souls contemplate things that are going on, it is screaming the fact, God, that you are sending a message to us, that you created us to glorify you, that you loved us enough to send your Son. And while it doesn't tell every single detail of the story, God, you sure are sending us a message through it. Help us even slow down this very week to be able to contemplate the truths of who you are, what you're doing. And God, I pray that as we continue to go through this study, Lord, that you would allow us to know you better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, thank you all so much. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.